I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. All right, James, it's 2.30 in the morning. No, 2.34. This is the latest Sleep Report podcast we've ever done. You know, normally we record in like the afternoon, but it's uh, in the hours after game seven and we're done writing our stories. We have a flight early tomorrow. And uh, as sometimes tends to be the case, we're not ready to go to bed because we're not really tired yet. So you prepare all day to work late into the night. And sometimes that means you're up till three in the morning. All right. That's true. So let's talk about Game 7. And our season's over, too, so... Yeah, so what the hell? We can stay up till 3 in the morning. Um, so I've been asking you this after every game, so I'll keep it up for Game 7. What's, like, your the thing you're thinking about having watched and written about Game 7? You know what? It was right there for the Leafs to win that game. That's what I was thinking. You know, a second intermission, I remember just thinking, kind of looks like we might be going to Tampa. And I, and I was wondering if... The team that showed up at the end of Game 6 for the third period and really locked it down and didn't give the Bruins a lot of chances, if that was the team that was going to show up or if it was going to be the other one that we saw in Game 5 where they were just hanging on mm-hmm. by their fingernails. And it was it was the team that, that made the defensive mistakes and and Anderson wasn't, wasn't locking it down, so they lost the game. Yeah, and I just think 
and I point this out to you in the press box. It's I think it's crazy how like little things happen in order. Um, both the goals they gave up obviously were four on four, and the first one, you know, becomes a four on four goal because I think it was David Krejci hits Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman gets into it a little bit with Brad Marchand, um, so that they get matching minors. So suddenly it's four on four. And then later in the period, you know, it's tied 4-4. Bozak and who is it? I got on my notes. Bozak and Rick Nash get matching minors. So it's 4-4 four four again. See, no, but it's just like the, weird things had to happen. The refs are evening it up with the penalties. Normally you don't think much of that. Um, you mean, the rule changed at some point in the last few years where it used to be if you got offsetting minors, it would stay 5-on-5. Five five. Mm-hmm. But then they went back to uh, it being 4-on-4. Four and for whatever reason, when the Bruins were at four and four, they just seemed way better prepared for the that much more open ice being there, and that much more. It's almost like the Leaf style of panicky kind of plays out of their own end of dumping the puck out and all that didn't work very well at four and four. Like it, sure. it was like the team that was more assertive with the puck was gonna. I don't know what it was, but those back to back four and fours, the Bruins really they got two goals and they and they took over the game. Well, and and like you mentioned. Some of that's goaltending. Some of that's like the whole game. Uh, I didn't think Anderson was very good, but like some of it is, you know, Jake Gardner makes some very questionable plays, and obviously as on he the, tends to do, as he tends to do, and and he really, I wasn't in that that scrum. I I forget. I think I was talking to Kadri, or maybe I was listening to Babcock. Uh, but what was he like? Um, and I'm sure people will watch the video, but like. What was it like listening to him talk about his game seven afterward? We get in the dressing room and it's quite a bit after the game has ended. So sometimes the emotion of the players has kind of subsided a little bit and like the worst of, of what they've, you know what I mean? They've kind of mentally prepared to go before us and, and talk to us. Well, it's like sometimes they are literally taking their gear off talking to you. So like the adrenaline is still pumping. But right. in cases like this, I think he had his suit on. Like he had showered. He'd kind of composed himself a little bit. So this is what he said. This was his whole scrum, basically. He said, personally, I got to be better. This game's on me. It's just not good enough, especially in a game like this. It's the most important game of the season and I didn't show up. So there's not much I can say, really. There's no real explanation. I felt fine. It just seemed like everything I was doing ended up in the back of the net. And then at the very end, he said, it's going to be a tough... So uh, I, I think Paul Hendrick asked him, uh, maybe you can use this to get stronger and build on or, or whatever, something like that. And Gardner said, it's going to be a tough one to swallow, that's for sure. I've let a lot of people down. Hopefully I can come back better from it. It's too bad. And then his voice like kind of cracked, and it felt like he was going to break down, and he just walked away. And it's... You know, we all. Jake Gardner's a, a good person. He's a he's a good guy. Um, he um, the way he plays is it's a little bit erratic. I think you and I are both fans of Jake Gardner. Like mm-hmm. we both think. And what I said in my piece is that I think it's just too much to ask Jake Gardner to be a number one defenseman, which is part of what they asked him. Maybe he didn't have the number one matchup, but he played the number one minutes in the regular season and in the playoff series. He played over twenty four minutes in Game Seven. You know, it's it's almost like they don't have enough options on their back end and especially when Morgan Riley gets hurt early in the game with the puck in the face that um, they ask some of these guys to do too much and it's I don't know I mean is it too much to ask for Jake Gardner to play 24 minutes in a game like this no I don't think that's I don't think that's it like sometimes he just has I mean anybody who's listening to it this and anybody who watches like sometimes he just makes plays where you're like what 
what was he thinking? Well, like, Babcock said the same, you know. But he also makes all these other plays that you maybe aren't as noticeable, but they're really good plays. Um, but, like, on the second Boston goal, throws a puck away, loses a board battle, and, like, just all these sequence of events, and it's and ends up in the back of the net. And then, like, on the, the 5-4 goal, immediately when I, when I saw it, it, it looked like he didn't take the right angle. Right. And then obviously, yeah, and you can see it on the replay. Like he just takes this this odd path uh, to DeBrusque. Even um, his pivot here, he pivots to the inside of the lane instead of like he could have went the other way, and then he would have been on him right away. I don't, Gardner just, I don't know. He he's like a. And the odd thing is, like I've and we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. Nikita Zaitsev was actually fine, um, but. But but we can like Jake Gardner can take this on his shoulders all he wants. No, you it's... cannot win a game seven if your goaltender is is not good and well, Frederick was... Anderson was not good. Austin Matthews had two points in the whole series. You I mean, can okay. So let me whole, rephrase. There's a whole bunch of things we can point to that aren't just Jake Gardner in this series. And the thing is, Jake Gardner was one of the reasons they got to game seven because I thought he was very good in game six. That's true. But like okay, so maybe I'll I'll take it a further step back and basically this is what I wrote. So. I should be pushing this anyway. You can't really, like it's really hard to win a series when your best players aren't your best players. And of their best players, really the only one who was at that same level was Marner, you know, who finished the series with nine points. Like, look at Matthews didn't have a great series, Riley didn't have a great series, Anderson didn't have a great series, Nealander didn't have a great series, Kadri got himself suspended for three games. Like, that's a that's a big chunk. The guys who were their best players in the series were Marner, Patrick Marlowe, Zach Hyman, Brown. Connor Brown. Um, so, so like you look at if we would have said at the beginning of the series the Leafs' leading scorers in the series were going to be Marner, Riley, Marlowe, Hyman, Plakanich, Bozak, JVR, we would have been uh oh. Well, I mean, if if, if Thomas Plakanich has more points in a series than Austin Matthews, you're. The fact that like they were on the verge of winning and all those things potentially would have happened is something. Um, but there's something like that you and I have been talking about, and, and maybe we can explain to people listening. There is something really interesting about the crowd in Boston, and we you were you were thinking it might be like the way the rink is, but when that crowd gets going, there's something about it that it adds like a, a different element that we don't have in Toronto. And that a lot of buildings don't have where you can feel it like they're making an impact actually on the game. Yeah. I actually thought the ACC was kind of pathetic, the crowds, for the three home games they had. I did not think it was very good. It's just never been like that, though. I don't know what it is. I've been to every rink in the league. And there's only a few that have this. There's probably like three, right? Yeah, it's like Chicago, this. Chicago, Boston, maybe Montreal when they're maybe when, Montreal. When a really big game. I've and, been to Montreal second round of the playoffs. Remember when they played Pittsburgh that year and yeah. Clack was on fire, and that was that was really impressive what they did. Well, and you can feel it like uh, having an effect on the visiting team. I, guess, I think it's the same a little bit in, in New York with the Rangers and, and yeah. Madison Square Garden, but yeah. like there's some sort of like psychological thing, and you could see it. It would have been game. Five? Yeah, it would have been game five. No, game six. Game six? Well, game six was in Toronto. So game five. So game five was the one where they barely hang on. And you could feel the crowd like really having an impact. Um, but So let's talk a little bit about Austin Matthews just because we did mention him. Um, he did point out after the game 
game seven that he he got better he felt as the series went on and the numbers backed that up um but it again like it's it's hard to win a series when you're like 40 goal guy scores once and has one assist he had 27 shots on goal in the series which is about four a game which is way more than anybody else but i don't know i I wonder it'll be interesting to see what some of these players take out of this series and think about maybe do they have to change their games do they have to one of the things that i found really interesting watching the playoffs over the last i mean let's say 12 13 years players like Jonathan Taves and and but more so Sidney Crosby the way that he's reinvented himself and he's changed as a player remember he became more of a goal scorer after his Mm -hmm. first two years and I wonder if what Austin Matthews takes out of this is I need to be more of a playmaker I need to use my teammates better I need to or I need to become a more physical player I don't know what it's going to be I'm I'm just I'm not saying I'm not saying Austin Matthews needs to do xyz this is my hot take I just wonder which what he'll look at where he needs to improve because I know that Last year he went into the offseason and really thought about he wanted to work on his skating and he wanted to get more explosive and he wanted to be faster and he was working with skills coaches on that. I wonder what it will be this year because, you know, everyone that knows Matthews knows that he he's a very, very hardworking, passionate guy and he's going to take this personally and he's going to feel like he failed and he's going to try and, and use that to improve his game. So it'll be interesting to see if, if he can add other elements to who he is as a player. Well, I'm just guessing if if I was him, I would I would try to get stronger. Like he's still really young. Like he's 20, and obviously he has like a man's body, but you play against a line like that and it kind of exposes that stuff. No? It wasn't ever like he Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. You know, one of the things that uh right before he was drafted, I talked a lot with his coaches and I talked a lot with Mark Crawford in particular, who was I can't talk about how fantastic Mark Crawford was. He was just about to be hired by the Ottawa Senators, and still he gave me all kinds of stuff. One of the things he said were the biggest... He said there were two areas he thought Matthews needed to improve when he had him in Switzerland. Number one was his into, in his defensive play and being um, just like more of a... knowing when, how to make the right decisions in his own end and things, knowing how to be on the right side of the puck, et cetera, et cetera. Like being... Be, Going from good to elite. And I thought he got better at that this year. Yeah, he did. And the other thing was his strength. And and Matthews is a big, big kid. He's 6'3", like 215, 220. Mm -hmm. He's a big guy. But um, Crawford thought that, you know, he had been, he had played so much hockey. He played, you know, world championships and World Cup and all these things and all these long seasons and national development team program that he really hadn't had the time to put in um, the work in the gym. I mean, he thought that that eventually Matthews could play at the size that Kopitar is, and I think Kopitar is six two, like two thirty or two twenty five, and he thought that Matthews eventually could be at to the point where you're. He's so strong. He's he's like Kopitar level strong, where you're not knocking him off the puck, and then maybe he's gonna maybe eventually Matthews has the hands, and the stick handling and the shot combined with this. You're just well, it's just like you become like is a bad comparison. Lindros, it's yeah. like where you become like kind of like a freight train because he is so big, he is so skilled, he is so fast. Um, yeah, so that's something like, and, and he's driven. Like you can see that about Matthews. So Kopitar, you you just pulled it up two twenty four. Um, so yeah, and that's that's a guy I think he has talked about 
as being one of the guys he looked up to. Well, that's someone that Crawford really compared him to because he had Kopitar uh, in L.A. when he was the coach there. So he he really saw a lot of similarities there. He thought that that Matthews could be better than Kopitar just because his shot and his Mm -hmm. stick handling were better than Kopitar. So, I mean... Kopitar's a great player. I mean, he was he was a guy who got MVP votes this year. So if Matthews can get to that level, then obviously I think Leafs fans should be happy with that. Well, and and we so let's go through a couple other guys. Um, I think what ended up happening because is is Austin Matthews Canadian? You're looking up Google questions. Yeah, <laughs> let's get back on track, James. It's, All I did was I was just searching Austin Matthews' name. Um, the Nazem Kadri thing. I feel what ended up happening is because Matthews was kind of struggling, that ended up becoming like central focus A, and understandably to a great degree. (laughs) But Nazem Kadri missing three games, like that is a really big deal. And obviously... Well, this series could have been 2-2. Right. And so like they they would have had him for games three and four, they could have won both those games. Yes. Kadri only had two points in the whole series. Kadri's one of their most... And the thing, too, is he's a veteran. There should be more on him, I think, than even the young guys. I mean, the, the hit that Kadri made was – you can't defend that hit. No, you can argue with the length, but when you put yourself in that position – I like, mean, it was going to be two out. games. Yeah, but two two games it matters. The game – the extra game matters. But, like, it's, it's your fault. Like, you, you right. do it. Do you like how he responded to it? Like, he basically – he still – I was asking him, like, about it after – Game seven, like having to watch it, he said it was really hard because he know he he could be out there making a difference, but he still said like basically that he would do it again just because like he felt like he had to stand up for his teammates and I, I, I kind of think there's something noble in that. Like I, I'm impressed by it, but it's also like man, like you're one of their best players. That can't happen. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the thing you love about Kadri is his confidence and the swagger and all of those things and the way, I mean, for the media, we love the way he talks and how open he is, but I think that maybe he doesn't have as much self-realization of how badly he cost his team in this series because they, they just could not afford that. Like, Well, when you're having to play Thomas Placanich 17 minutes a game against the Bergeron line, and, and he did fine, but that's not ideal. Um, they needed all hands on deck in this series to have a chance. Yes, right. And, and the so, fact that you know we talked about the Matthew struggling and Anderson struggling and Nealander struggling and the defense all struggling and they got as close as they did. I think it says a lot of good things about some of the supporting cast that they've got. You know, I thought that Janssen had a good series and we we already went through all this. Marner had a good series and Brown and Hyman and yeah, but the, let, we should like. I have two more things for us to talk about, Captain and that was one of them. Was up and down, but those but... are positives for them. That Hyman elevated his game. Connor Brown elevated his game. Like I that mean, line. To me, that said that those guys are those guys are core pieces now. Like they're like yeah. they're they're like in their top nine forwards. Like the way that they played. Well, and you know who will love that is is Babcock and Shanahan. Like the perception I've gotten is that that's very important to them how players perform in the playoffs because like it says something about them and I'm sure they're sitting here after this series looking at William Nylander and thinking man we got to figure out how to get this guy to another level where in a playoff series he's like Pasternak I think there was like two or three minutes left in game seven they're down by two goals and Nylander went into the corner and Chara was there and it still was not he still didn't take the right lane to the puck right whereas like Connor Brown's just going in there full bore yeah 
and I don't know, that's DNA of players. I don't know if you can change that. Um, so last thing, and we'll talk about this more. Well, in we should future. say, like, we Nylander's an amazing player. Like, I don't want to trade him. We are not in the camp that will no. advocate any of that stuff. I still, th- like, I think his upside is tremendous. Um, we'll talk about this more in the offseason, but we should kind of talk about it now. What this series did was kind of expose a lot of what their weaknesses are, namely on defense, you know, the right side of their defense. Um center ice they're they're still not deep enough and that's one thing that i'm really curious about how do you add more versatility in that like you have more guys who can play center like i'm not sure how you figure that out in the off season but anything kind of like anything you look at this summer as, as thinking that they'll be able to get as far as fixing some of those needs i i would guarantee you that they are going to add a defenseman like they're not going to go in with this same group again. Well, Polak's UFA. I'm sure Mike will fight like hell to get him back. They have to add a defenseman, but don't you? No, think? it's not just adding a defenseman. It's trying to add a really like a top four defenseman. Yeah. Um, I just don't know where you get that guy. They should. I think they should go back at Vancouver for Chris Tanev. Maybe like they need. Yeah, they need someone who's a good defensive player. Well, what that would do is it push everyone down. That's what they got to do. Because then Hainsey can be on your second pair with Gardner and, and Zaitsev can be on your third pair with Dermott. I don't know where it is and I don't know where you find it, but you got to you got to call all 30 teams in the league and see if anyone's got anyone that can play the right side because next year is going to be too important. They have so much cap space. They have... I mean, even if you got to bring back a bad contract or you got to do... I think you've got, you got to do something. So the counter to that is... They don't have a ton to trade unless, like, you, like they're going to lose Van Riemsdyk, Bozak, Komarov. They're not so rich in prospects that they can just trade a bunch of these guys. Yep. Maybe the answer is, like, you just go out and spend in free agency. I don't know. Like, do you go well, out and buy John Carlson? Well, that's the only option. And, and the thing with the more people I talk to about Carlson, and I know I endorsed getting him, whatever it was, a month ago or something on the podcast, the more people I talk to about him, they say he's – Really good offensively and a little bit suspect defensively. So is that gonna? Is that no? Gonna it's not help? what they need, but it doesn't cost you assets. It costs you cap space. The like one, I don't. I don't know. I don't I think he's do, a perfect fit. Either. The one thing I could do, and it's this is not just an overreaction to Game Seven. This is something I've been thinking for a few weeks. I wonder Gardner's contract's going to be up after next year. I wonder if you bring in Carlson, that solidifies you on the right side a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, you're not just looking for a right side good shutdown D. You can bring in a left side shutdown D and you can move on from Gardner. You're saying trade for him? I'm saying sign Carlson. That's two years. He's not available this summer. No, 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 no. But, but, but Gardner all of a sudden becomes a trade piece and you bring in someone else who can solidify the left side. Or you, or you can move Hainsey to the left side. But what are you doing the next year? Get Carlson. But that's he's twenty nineteen. No, no, Carlson's up for free agency this year. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Eric Carlson. No, no. Oh, I'm talking about John Carlson. Oh, Eric Carlson. That's a different Carlson. Eric okay. Carlson scares the crap out of me. I wouldn't go after him because I he had a bad year. His ankle might be shot. He's going to cost way more than John Carlson. I guess the idea with John Carlson is you're just adding a better defenseman, right? That's and, all. And he's on the, the side idea. where you need him. Yeah, and so like if if you got if you got John Carlson, you could suddenly talk about moving Hainsey to the left side. Well, no, what I would do is you would maybe you I don't know. 
I was, I was going to say, like, maybe you use Gardner and Hainsey against top lines, and you use Riley and Carlson as, like, more of an offensive pair, but I don't know if I want to use, if I'm them, well, if I want to use 38-year-old Ron Hainsey in the playoffs. They have to move Hainsey down. Like, I did not like the way he played in this series. He was getting the puck, and it was just, it was like a grenade on a stick all the time. I thought, he got weaker as the season went along, and I thought that against a really good team like Boston at the end of the year... You know, he gave what he had, but he just he's just not good enough with the puck. Well, he's thirty seven. And he's just And not, he's limited in his skill set. He was limited last year with Pittsburgh too. I mean, this was something that got pointed out again and again. Like they got past Washington despite the fact that their possession stats and despite the fact that their defense was so weak. Like they got really fortunate that the pit that they were able to win the Stanley Cup last year. Well, they're really big fans of Zaitsev, so I don't know, maybe they should be using him higher. Like, if he's as good as they say he is, you and I don't believe that. Well, the the downside to John Carlson is that, yeah, he's a right-side D, and yeah, he can play big minutes, but he's going to be really expensive. Well, cap space is not an issue next year, but it be- right. it will become an issue. So, like, it's not like you can just throw money around. The other thing, too, the argument to think about Jake Gardner's future is that he's got one year left, and he still has some trade value with one year left. He has no trade value if you wait another year with him. And do you want to sign well, him to... Well, but what are you trading him for? Do you want to sign him to a much bigger contract a year from now? Do you want... I would... That's like, not a decision think, you need to make now. Well... If you make it now, you're being proactive. And, but what are you training him for? Well, I don't know. Whatever you can get for him. Maybe you can get a center. I don't know, man. I don't, teams don't just trade good centers for... Well, I think that a lot of teams are going to look at Jake Gardner and think that, you know, this is the kind of player that we need on our team. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean... Maybe go to the Oilers and say... <laughs> I don't know. All right. We'll discuss that more in the off season. It's late. It's two fifty eight. All right. Well, thank you to Babsocks for yeah for sponsoring, sponsoring us. us. Yeah, Babsocks has a cool thing coming called the National Socky League, where they're going to have a lot more than just Babcock's face on socks. So. I got to decide which ones I'm going to get. Oh, you got to get them all. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I think they're going to have like twenty something. So there's like a Gretzky and a Lemieux and a. Lanny McDonald and they're 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 pretty amazing. All right, well, we'll be back sometime in the next couple weeks. I don't know when. Maybe after well, locker cleanup. No, I think we should do. So the Leafs are going to do their locker cleanup, which is like the last availability with the coach and the GM and the players on Friday morning. Uh, we'll have more stories from that. Uh, we'll probably do a podcast. I would say early next week, like Monday or something, and that'll be. I think we should keep doing them in the off season. I mean, whenever anything happens of note, there could be a new GM on this team. There could be trades. There could be big contracts for Nylander and Matthews. There's there's probably a lot that's going to happen. There's the draft to talk about. Mm-hmm. We'll be back. We'll be back. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. Just fun.